This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Jonathan Quayorth, standing in for Sally McMillan, and this program is brought to you by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. In today's show, we're delving into the little-known world of painting conservation. What's involved in a conservator's job? How exactly do they restore and preserve irreplaceable works of art, and what do they discover in the process? We'll be talking to conservators Jenny Sherman and Linda Waters about the stories and secrets from the back of the painting. But first, here's Ross Curry with what's new in the Dunedin art scene. This is Snapshot. The Hocken Library has an exhibition called Drift that focuses on recent acquisitions and a collection of items from a range of the Hocken's huge collection areas. This continues until July the 17th. And Jonathan, the Hocken Library has over 18,000 artworks. That's, that's incredible, isn't it's it? Extraordinary. Yes. So yep. It's extraordinary. So it's another gem in Dunedin. Right. So we must keep uh, checking in with their exhibitions because Absolutely. that's a vast collection. And what's on at the Brett McDowell Gallery at the moment, Ross? Nicholas Shanley, a ceramic artist from Littleton, has a show from July the 2nd to the 22nd. And from the 23rd, there's a show of Lawrence Aberhart's works. Fantastic. And what about the Moray Gallery? Well, the Moray Gallery at 55 Princess Street is showing works by John Z. Robinson and Robert West from July the 2nd to the 23rd. So I've had a little bit of a look at uh, John's work online. Now, I believe this was all done during lockdown. That's right. And it's all based on images from his garden. Yes. And how has he actually created these works? Well, he's made them on his, his tablet, his Samsung tablet. Right. Mm. And it's really interesting when you look at them that uh, although it's done electronically, you can still see his sort of unique painterly style coming That's through. Right. So it's intriguing. That's right. This, this will be a very interesting show. Mm. And anything else on at Moray Gallery at the well, moment? Well, yes. Robert West um, builds on previously shown watercolours and he focuses on an imaginary city. There's going to be an artist talk scheduled for Friday, July the 2nd at 1 o'clock at the um, Moray Gallery itself. Fantastic. Now, you've been uh, busy judging an art show, I believe. Yes, that was very much an honour and a privilege. It's the, it was the 145th annual show of the Otago Arts Society and there's rich artistic talent in Dunedin and evident on display. 200 pieces are in this show and I had the unenviable task of awarding six prizes amongst 200 pieces. Well I think that's an enviable task. Did you find some gems? I did find some really um, fine pieces actually and it, it was it was a fun job. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I was really pleased to see that uh, some of the awards went to young um, up-and-coming artists who yes. ho- hope to make painting a profession, and that was really rewarding. Uh, the talent on display there is, is really extraordinary. Yeah, fantastic. Well, we should all get along and have a look at that show. Now, tell us what's on at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. 
There's currently a major show there, Hurahia Ana Kafetu, Unveiling the Stars. This show is in collaboration with Paimanu, a group of Naitahu artists, and celebrates the history of the collection. What's interesting, I find, is many of the pieces in this exhibition were purchased from society funds over the decades. And it's a testament to how significant the society has been in building the collection. Many of these pieces have also not been shown before, so there's a range of pieces on show. And any other shows on at the uh, the gallery at the moment? Well, a number of shows are scheduled to finish in July. The Guying An show finishes on July the 18th, and Sweet 2021, featuring four contemporary artists from Dunedin, ends on Ju- July the 18th. Fantastic. All right, well, thank you, Ross. And now it's time for Viewpoint, our monthly feature item. In today's show, we're looking at painting conservation, and Ross's first guest is Jenny Sherman, conservator at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. Welcome to Sightlines, Jenny. Thanks for joining us today. Jenny, how did you become an art conservator, and was this a typical pathway to the profession? Well, kia ora, Ross. Um, I became a conservator after I had already gone to art school. I went to Parsons School of Design in New York, and I studied painting. But I realized I wasn't, I just didn't have the temperament to be a painter. And when I learned about conservation, which was a couple years after graduation, I realized that was the right course for me. So what kind of temperament or qualities do you need to be a conservator? Oh, to be a conservator, first of all, you have to have a curiosity and an inquiring mind. And um, a lot of conservation work is almost like detective work. So you have to um, be quite methodical and um, focus in on fine details. And you have to have great amount of patience. Um, a lot of the work that we do is very tedious and boring. And for me, that's fine. I just get into a groove with that. But it doesn't suit everyone's temperament. So have the challenges in, in your area changed over the time? Yes. Uh, well, I suppose I could say that um, technology has changed and has enabled us to do a lot more. The challenges in the work pretty much remain the same for me. Um, I specialize in old master paintings. So I'm dealing with centuries-old objects, and it's the same old sort of issues. However, in the field, there are um, areas that are receiving a lot more exposure these days. Uh, for example, um, how to deal with conserving plastic items. That's a very hot topic in conservation. And um, as these items have aged a certain amount now, now they're finding that it's, it's critical. We find ways to preserve them. So how has science and technology helped you? to solve the problems with the the issues? Well, um, I'd say when I first started doing conservation in the 80s, um, 
We were doing uh, we were doing all of our photography on film, developing everything in the dark room, and our X rays were developed in the dark room. Um, nowadays, um, with digital technology, that's really been a game changer. And we're able to do things a lot more on site, taking materials, uh, taking our equipment with us. Can you g- give us an example of a piece of equipment that's been particularly useful? Oh, sure. For example, XRF is a relatively new technology, which enables us to get elemental analysis of an object. So it tells us what elements um, the sample is comprised of. And we can do this without taking a sample from the object. So it's, it's just a fantastic way to get this information that we need without removing something from the object. Sounds a bit like just identifying drugs on a painting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's not too far from that. <laughs> to be a conservator, I assume you must have have to have a love and knowledge of art. So when you go to an art show, do you see the paintings with an appreciative eye <laughs> of an art lover or one of appraisal for conservation purposes? Oh, that's a good question. I would say in some ways becoming a conservator has ruined looking at paintings. But I will say when I when I come into a gallery space from a distance, I can appreciate everything the way I used to just as a, a viewer. But then once I start to get up close, I see how something was made, what materials were used, what techniques were used, and then any any sorts of damage or problems in the painting. Does it spoil the painting for you? In some ways it does, yeah. Um, but if I just stand back again, then I can just view it as, as an artwork and appreciate it for that. <laughs> so in your work as conservative at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, what would be a typical working week? Oh, that really varies depending on our exhibition schedule. Um, I'd say that my work here at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery is mostly exhibition focused. So I have far less time to study the collection and carry out research um, on various artworks as I used to do. And in addition, at Dunedin, we don't have a lot of scientific um, equipment, so that kind of narrows things down. But as our um, exhibition schedule is exhibition-driven, um, I spend a lot of time studying works that will be going on view and making sure that they are stable and that they look as they should for uh, going on display. So I I typically um, treat a lot of the works that go on view. It's often just sort of remedial things, just minor things that might need attention, a tiny bit of flaking paint or touching up a frame, just minor restoration for the most part. Do artworks deteriorate in storage much? No. In general, our um, our storage facilities are quite good. We have very stable conditions and the lights are kept off unless we're using the space. So in general, they're, they're quite stable. Um, every now and again, I might have to do a light surface cleaning on something that's been in storage. But um, 
more recently, we've been finding ways to cover surfaces so they don't accumulate dust. Recently, you've, you've co-authored a fascinating book called The Back of the Painting with <laughs> Sarah Hillary, the principal conservator at Auckland Gallery, Toy Otamati, and Linda Waters, conservator of paintings at the Museum of New Zealand Te Papa Tongarewa. This book, in analysing the backs of paintings, gives fascinating insights and revelations to previous conservation and history, unlocking secrets and stories. Can you describe one of the paintings you wrote about in the book and what secrets and stories were revealed from examining the back? Um, Well, I would say my favourite painting to discuss is the... uh, It's a landscape with pan and syrinx, and it was painted by an unidentified artist who who was copying a work by Paul Esprill. And um, so it's a a dark landscape, dark foreground, and sort of an idyllic um, landscape in the distance. And we have pan pan pursuing syrinx amorously um, in the foreground. Now, this is an oil painting on panel. It's on an oak panel, which is typical of um, 17th century Flemish painting. The back has some water damage and some old tape and glue and a few labels. And as also we can see the a join where the two planks were put together, glued together to create this panel. But just below the join, what we see on the back is a brand mark, which was required by the Guild of St. Luke uh, from Antwerp. And any panel that was prepared for an artist was required to have done it by um, using particular um, quality wood and particular methods to join the panels to um, assure that they would age well and not warp And it was to assure that the panel would not warp and it was free of defects such as irregularities in the wood or including resinous sapwood. So once this panel was made, it was sent to the dean um, of the Guild of St. Luke who would then apply his brand into the back of the wood panel to assure the artist that it was um, a certified wood panel. Now this brand, it contains two outstretched hands, open hands, placed above a three-towered castle. And that was also the coat of arms of the city of Antwerp. And we know that this brand was used from 1617 until around 1650. So this brand lets us know that this panel is authentic. And although we don't I, we haven't identified the actual artist. We do know that it was made in Antwerp at this during this period. So it's it's really good for us to know that there were measures for quality preservation that go way back. Absolutely, yeah. So does every back of a painting have a story? Well, not really. And we were all very careful in choosing the paintings that we decided to discuss in this book for their story. Um, In a few cases, mine don't have great stories, but at least it explains how they were made, Um, some of these, the oldest paintings, um, several of which come from 
large altarpieces. Now, some paintings really don't tell us much information other than that, say, they were painted on canvas or a wood panel or masonite. Thank you. Well, look, thank you for joining us today, Jenny. And for our listeners, the back of the painting book is available at the Dunedin Public Gallery shop on the ground floor. And members of the society, on showing their membership card, can get a 20% discount. Ross's next guest is Linda Waters, Conservator of Paintings at Te Papa. Welcome to Sightlines, Linda, and thanks for joining us today. <clears throat> Te Papa has a broad range of paintings in the collection. How does the conservation of contemporary paintings differ from much earlier works? Interesting question. Um, the, the techniques, the conservation techniques that developed over the 20th century um, were really directed towards traditional materials, and they don't fit um, modern paints, for example, paints that have been developed from the middle of the 20th century onwards. So one approaches conservation of later works quite differently. You need an understanding of the chemistry of modern paints and acrylics, artists' acrylic paints, for example, are a real cocktail of ingredients and very vulnerable to solvents and solvent combinations and so they require the chemistry for cleaning is very specific and um, you have to understand this in order to treat them the other thing is for modern materials preventive measures are extremely significant they the surfaces tend to be much less robust than those of traditional oil paintings. So, for example, in unframed acrylics are handled ideally not by the painting itself, even though you wear gloves, but by um, a handling frame around them that in which they sit for transport and storage. And acrylic paints can soften and imbibe dust over time, and so ideally they would be covered to prevent that. So they're very unlike traditional paints in that way. You've got expertise in microscopy and the analysis of paint cross-sections. Can you explain how this is applied to your work? Well, um, it's a very useful tool when you are able to take cross-section in the course of your work, if in fact you deem that, that, it's, that it's necessary. Um, and the, the samples of paint we take are tiny, like pinhead sized, and um, what they allow you to do is look at the layering of the paint. This can be really useful if you, um, are, say, are about to um, start on cleaning um, an older painting that has perhaps been restored and you can see layers such as um, restoration layers or and where they sit um, either over or under new or old varnishes for example and, and it helps you tailor your cleaning in that regard. They can also be used to identify pigments and here we're in um, the microscopy we're talking about generally is like 200 times, 400 times. When you, um, you can identify pigments additionally by 
subjecting that sample to elemental analysis using a scanning electron microscope and identified pigments such as um, titanium white versus lead white. Um, there's an example in our book where what was purported to be a Lindau was found um, not to be and the pivotal thing was identifying titanium white in the paint. So Linda, you, cannot... you, sorry, you, you're one of the co-authors of the book, The Back of the Painting, mm. um, in which the Lindau piece is featured. Um, this was your initiative. What prompted this project? Mm. Well, I, um, you know, I'd be, I've been a conservator for many decades, several decades at least, and I wanted to share what I see in the course of my work that the public and even others in the museum don't get to see. And my colleagues, Sarah and Jenny, um, similarly so. I, um, you know, we're privileged to see so much and it's so fascinating and I just thought the public would be interested as well. And the, the um, a, a curator colleague I was speaking with suggested, who suggested writing the book, said to me, speak with your own voice. And I thought, well, it's also an opportunity to add my personal view about paintings that I've worked on as well as my professional expertise. So it was an opportunity to do that as well. How does this book build on other publications in this particular field? Interestingly, um, I think it sort of goes sideways. <laughs> it, it, it broadens the reach and it crosses disciplines, I think, and it, and it puts the information out there in, in lay terms in, into the public arena. And I was, I was thinking, about other, thinking about the books that inspired me to, to write this and thinking about books that sit in the same territory and there's none that quite do that. Uh, there's a book by Alex Katz, an American artist called Looking at Art, where he gives his very personal views about um, many um, late and great artworks. There's Betty Churcher's notebooks. Betty Churcher was the director, amongst other things, the director of the National Gallery in Canberra, and she wrote two notebooks um, on her observations, her personal and um, art historical observations of art, and that that sort of is, is in a similar way, in similar territory, but it doesn't. It's not quite as technical as our offering. There's a book published in the 80s by Chartwell Publications about the techniques of the great masters, and it's large. It's really a pictorial edition, and they they used. Um, several conservators as advisors to that publication so it's similar to that I suppose and then there's more um, scientific and analytical books written about modern paints for example that are published by the Getty that cover paint properties and the analysis of the surfaces and aging and so forth which again are different territory again so I think ours is it's sort of um, out there in the middle of all that it's somewhat of a trailblazer by the sounds of it. And um, 
It's also a book that I think will appeal to a wide range of people. It's very, very accessible. Yes, it's very accessible, and the um, the range of work. Surely, there's something to please everyone because it, <laughs> it, you know the work covers 500 years um, of painting. Tell me, um, is a narrative gained from the back of a painting usually compatible to what can be gleaned from the front? Ah, well, yes and no. Um, it can tell the same story, it can tell a completely different story, and it can um, negate what one thinks the artwork is. So it, it more often than not adds to... Well, it always adds to an understanding of the work um, about the artist process and the materials, but it can um, affect attribution. For example, the, again, I mentioned the um, fake Lindau where the back was a, a, a clue as to um, the uh, lack of authenticity of the work because of the type of canvas used and because of how it appeared. The back of the painting of Dr. Gray Hassel by van der Velden shows it had been cut down so radically that, in fact, it wasn't a single portrait, but a double portrait of him and his wife. Mm. So, so there so, you have... <laughs> so basically, the back and the front is, is worth looking at. Um, just a, a, a quick one before we finish, um, Linda. What are your favourite periods of art, personally? Personally, I'm really drawn to minimalist painting. It just grabs me, the, the formal nature of it and the, re, the re, reductive sort of aesthetic, the reduced aesthetic. That's um, probably my favourite. And following that, um, at the other end of the scale, Impressionism and the beautiful vibrancy of those surfaces. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Linda. Um, we've learnt a lot about conserving paintings. We appreciate your time with us on the program. Oh, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Ross. Thank you. That's great, Ross. Many thanks to Linda and Jenny for sharing their insights and giving us a glimpse into the fascinating world of painting conservation. And thank you for joining us for this edition of Sightlines, which is also available on podcast from the Otago Access Radio website, oar.org.nz. Next time, we'll be talking to Jim Geddes, director of the Eastern Southland Art Gallery, about how he established and expanded a flourishing regional art gallery. Don't miss it. I'm Jonathan Quayle, standing in for Salink Nobilan. Sightlines is brought to you by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.